This week's episode is a recording of a conversation produced by Tiffany Earle and Anelody Milne, the founders of Lemmy. We've done our best to enhance the audio of the 20-year-old conference call. While the sound may not be the best, the content is a classic. I am so excited about, about what we're going over today. And the fun thing is that each year, Anelody and I learn new things that we're able to share with you. And I have something to add to, to what we'll be talking about today. And that's really fun. Today, the topic of today is greatness begets greatness or how to inspire greatness, how to inspire greatness in others. And, and actually, this is a three-part lecture. I'm going to be going over three things, um, and, but I'm going to start with this first one. Often, of course, we see education and we see teachers that and their role as being um, great teachers teach and students educate themselves, okay? So teach is, it's from Oliver DeMille's book, Thomas Jefferson Education, and he says teachers teach and students educate. And our job as teachers is to inspire our students to change and to grow and to learn and to want to learn. And so obviously the question that we ask ourselves is how do we inspire our students. What is it that people who are inspiring do? What is it that the great teachers who who have motivated students do? What is it that they do? And do we do it? And is there something we could do better? I I find myself asking these questions all the time. How what is it that they do? And it's really fun. I saw a two-minute clip of of Glenn Beck on on YouTube the other day, and and he was he was talking, and he said, I I don't know what show it aired on. He's he's um, used to be on CNN. He's on talk radio. He's one of the top um, talk radio people. If, for those of you who don't know who Glenn Beck is, um, and he 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 was saying, a friend of mine had forwarded it to me, and let me see it. He was saying. I'm a better person because of this man who lived. He says, in fact, I don't call people fatheads and pinheads nearly as much just because all I have to do is think of him, and I can't. And and he, it was a tribute to this, to uh, Gordon B. Hinckley, and he was, he was saying what an inspiring person he was and how his very life had changed, his own nature had changed because of... Um, Gordon B. Hinckley, and he said, and I've never even met him, and yet he's changed me because he is so inspiring. And I thought, you know, what is it that makes someone inspiring? What is it that sets them apart or that touches us in a way that we actually change our behavior because of them? So I've got five things that I want to go over. The first one is a question, and it's this. Do you do the personal things you know you should? Or do you do the things that you know you should? That's one of the first questions I ask myself as a teacher. Am I doing my part? It kind of goes along with um, Rachel and Oliver DeMille's You Not Them. You know, sometimes it's fun that we can sometimes have Oliver as a guest on our cause because he talks about, you know, inspire, not require. He talks about these things and that lots of people will just take it and run with it in one way and they don't have any wisdom. And this is one that can be like that, that someone could think, oh, I only ever focus on me. I don't ever do something about them. And, of course, we know that that's not true. But in this light, it is true where you where we ask about ourselves for the you part. Am I doing the things I know I should? And that's one of the basis for inspiring our students is if we can honestly and accurately say, yes, I am. Here's number two. Character. 
depending upon our character, we will either inspire others to that which is good and right or to that which is corrupt and bad. So our character. And I went ahead and went, went over to good old Webster and looked up character. And, um, it's setting a person apart. It's a mark upon themselves. It's um, something that that is through our habits. Talked about that our habits develop our character, and it sets us apart. It puts a mark on us. Okay, number three thing that people who are inspiring have is competence. They're good at something. This earns others respect, without which we cannot instill in them a desire to change their lives. So our, our competence matters. We have to pay the price to know and to understand and to gain wisdom. It's our job to daily, hourly, weekly, monthly do the things we're asking our students to do. Study by faith, by experience, out of the best books. And when we do those and when it's our chance and we're called to teach or to serve, then, then we're, we're ready. Okay, number four. This is about how to be inspiring, how to inspire greatness in our students and in others. We should clearly know what our goal is. And um, sometimes this is the hardest part, to, to actually decide what it is we want. I know that um, I had a business meeting with a with a business, uh, he's someone who, who makes, who puts together small business proposals for banks, and he helps companies get started. And um, this is the hardest part for people in business, to know for sure what it is they want. It's one of the hardest things, is to have it be really clear and to know that that's what they want. Um, knowing what our goal is will determine how we will choose to influence others and what our plan is. So there will there will be a natural and direct course to get to what we want. And so for this one, we need to continually self-check our motives and our intentions. Let's, let's take this down to our classes that we teach right now. Um, say someone is teaching sort of freedom. And any teacher who teaches may have a slightly different goal and may feel a different way that they want to take the students. Someone teaching sort of freedom may want to really, really instill a love for our country and a gratitude and, and a humbleness for, for the pains that our country went through to, to get to where we are now. You know, that might be something that the teacher wants. Someone else may want um, the students to really, really, really understand um, our founding documents and the knowledge found in the Federalist Papers and what really forms a social compact and what happens when you break away and really understand the forms. I mean, it, it or someone may have a mixture of of what they want. And that's why right here we talk about the know, feel, do. You know, what is it that we really want our students to know? What is it we really want them to feel? What is it that we want them to do? And, of course, Melody and I have overlaid all of our scholar projects with the Scholarship ladders, the vision, the mission, the skills and abilities. Um, at the same time, as a teacher, it's our job to say, what is it our students should know from this? Every time I teach a lecture, I say, what do I want my students to know? How do I want them to feel? Yes. It's Cami. <laughs> Hi, Cami. I, I have to share something. I'm feeling really... I learned it just barely. You and I actually read it in a book, but it's it's the person that goes into the restaurant, and they're sitting there, and they order chicken noodle soup, and they're so excited for the chicken noodle soup. 
and the waitress goes and, and starts getting their soup ready. And as they're on their way back with their chicken noodle soup, the, you say, ah, you know, I, I changed my mind. I actually think I want that wonton soup. And so the waitress turns around, goes back in the kitchen, and starts your second choice. And before they come out with the wonton soup, you go, no, you know what, I just, I totally have to switch again. I, I do want the chicken noodle. And so they go back into the kitchen and they start with the chicken noodle. And so the whole time you were getting what you wanted, it was coming right before it got there. You changed your mind. And, and meanwhile, you're sitting there without soup complaining that, I never get what I want. This drives me nuts. I'm not going to pay for dinner. Oh, true, Cammy. And just so all of you on the call know, I invited Cammy on knowing that that Melody was in Gettysburg. Cammy, I'm so glad you made it to our call. I love it when we teach together and have this opportunity. Um, you're right. That's right. Taking the time to find out, and and as teachers and as friends, I mean, this is about inspiring greatness in others, and of course we're specifically talking about our classes, but we're talking about everyone. We need to know ourselves. We need to know. Just thinking about going over to a friend's house, I know everyone's experienced this from the time we're down in junior high till high school through college to whatever friendships we have. Have you ever left a conversation where you both know you're on the floor? that the conversation has been awful and you have this uck feeling. Do you know what I'm do you know what I'm talking about, Cammy? Oh yeah. Maybe yep. maybe you've resorted to gossip, maybe you've been critical of somebody, maybe I mean there's been an element of criticism and judgmentalness and so you're you're both on the bottom. It's not till the person decides that's not what I want. Every friendship I enter, every conversation I have I remember when I made the choice. Every conversation I have with someone, I want to leave feeling good, and I want them to leave feeling good. And that means I have to watch what I say. You are such a good example of that. I'm going to brag about you for a minute. I remember being very young and in a group of girls where, where the timing at that age was so critical to fit in, to have friends. And someone would bring up somebody's name and start the negative spiral. And what everybody else, you know, just jumped in on the bandwagon. I remember very clearly you would say, I, I'll excuse myself if this is where the conversation is going. And if they continued to do that, you you left. You left the circle. And that was such a huge example to me as your younger sister. I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's not even going to listen, not only not participate, but she will actually excuse herself from this toxic environment so she doesn't go down that spiral with them. Tiff, you are a really good example of that. Oh, Kimmy, thank you. And I'll tell you that I mess up here and there all the time, but I'll, I'll tell you that I'm very aware. I know what my goal is. I know how I want to feel after I'm done talking with somebody. And I can just self-check and say, oh, I didn't do so great, or I did good, or, you know, and if I have friends who I, there are friends who automatically are critical and I have to be on my guard, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to make sure that we don't go here or there and that we stay like But it's, it's just, it just comes back to knowing what our goal is. And, and with our students, I'm, I'm teaching some Shakespeare. I'm team teaching Shakespeare right now in, in Monticello with our little group here with John Brooks. And, of course, I took out my lesson. I looked at what it said. I was supposed to give this lecture on quatrains and um poetry and um, iambic pentameter, and I was supposed to talk about Caesar, and, you know, I had the little outline that is part of the scholar project, part of the content we want to give, and I'm looking this over, and I say to myself, I ponder in my mind, what do the students need right now? And the answer came immediately, boom, a little lecture on writing. And so then I thought further, okay, they've turned in five papers so far. What is, what's being turned in? How's it going? What is it that they need? Because so then I immediately went into writing. Where are they? I used my spiritual eyes. And I thought, okay, where are most of the students with their writing? And I took myself into their papers, and I knew. I'm like, oh, I know what they need. 
don't know how to do outlines. And so I'm getting one-sentence papers. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They don't know what a line of logic is. A lot of them, I've, I've got three students who turn in something substantive, and that leaves nine who are giving me just a little opinion, just one-answer thoughts, and they're not papers yet. Okay? And so I, I zoomed into that, and I knew the next step. And then when I taught the class, so I knew what I wanted, knew where I wanted to take them. I knew I wanted to make enough time to talk to them about their writing. And because I, I, I went, I did this one, number four right here, clearly know what my goal is. Self-check my motives and intentions. Then in the class, here's, I said, I want to talk to you about writing today. I have something I want to teach you. And I said, but first, do any of you have any questions about the writing process? Because if there's any way to get them to ask the question before I jump into a lecture, I'm, I'm years ahead. And someone asked one little question, and I answered it. And then another little student raised her hand, and she asked the very question I needed asked. She says, she raised her hand, and she says, I, I want to know how to do an outline. Can you guys believe that? Can you believe it? She asked it. And I'm sure it was because I had clarified my intention. And and it was wonderful. I was able to, to hopefully teach them and inspire them to, to begin the process of making outlines. And, and it was so fun. I'd never given that lecture before. It was so much fun. Okay. So... Here's part of number four to clearly know what our goal is, what we what we want them to know, what we want them to feel, what we want them to do. And, of course, we, we just sometimes we'll ask that question to ourselves and it will come. Um, knowing our audience is part of this. People who are inspiring know their audience. They can speak their language. They can bring them from the point where they're at to the point that they want to take them to. I remember last year um, at the forum, one of the lectures that I was giving at the Thomas Jefferson Forum was the six keys to personal influence. And apparently the way that I had written the little paragraph about it, I hadn't I mean, it was really true what I was, what we teach about the six keys of personal influence <clears throat> crosses over to other countries, crosses over to people. But here's what shocked me. As I stood there at the front and I, I had to go, I had just given a lecture and I had, you know, 10 minutes to go from two floors over and find the other room where I was lecturing. And by the time I walked into the room, the room was all the way full. And I just had to walk right up to the front of the room, get, you know, sit down, be introduced and stand up and teach. And when I walked into the room, who was in the room shocked me because it was 90% men was attracted to that topic at the forum. And it was that's who my audience was. It was the businessmen. It was men. It was the fathers. And they wanted to talk about the six keys to personal influence. So I'm immediately going, okay, this is my audience. What is the, what, how am I going to talk? to them. I don't um, remember that. I was there. That's right, Kim, you were. But I had you to switch some of the it. stories that I was going to use. I had to I had to immediately look at my audience and think, okay, they're going to be here on an influence from a dad's point of view, from a brother's point of view, from, a, I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't know my you, audience, but I could reach them. That was one of the best times I've seen you and you were coming off your notes and, and switching. I you were it was amazing what you taught and it was tailored to those people. Everybody I remember you tried to get out of the room and they wouldn't let you and they wanted more of what you were giving them. Um so as as we as we teach that's something to always remember too is to remember who we're teaching. Okay. Number five. Okay, so the first one we have is, are we doing the personal things we know we should? Sometimes I just call that personal worthiness. The next one is number two, which is our character. And then number three, our competence. 
And then number four, knowing clearly what we want. And number five, people who are inspiring. This this is the ticket. Freedom, not coercion. And it's really funny what this means. It means love. Our love for others should be constant, whether or not they succeed. So whether they fail or whether they succeed, our love for them should be constant. And I see this. I work with a group of women and um, and, and a group of about 20 kids in one group and about 15 kids in another group. And I watch the kids file into the room. And um, one of the women that I work with, um, it, I know she loves those kids. I know she loves it. I can feel it. But as soon as the children don't behave, she um, forces. She'll she she one little boy will walk in the room, and immediately as soon as he gets there, she takes him by the shoulders. She looks in his eyes with a very stern look, and she she says something to him, and she plops him down in his seat. And I watch his countenance. He comes in, you know, with this little eye of maybe it's going to be okay today. And by the time he's sitting in his seat, he's looking down, he's got a frown on his face, and he's troubled. And I, and he's not inspired at all. And then it's, I do everything, all that's inside of me, Cammie. I do everything I possibly can to let him feel my love. When he looks up at me when I'm reading the music, and he's, I send him as much love as I possibly can so that that little sparkle in his eye can come back when he's in that little seat. Sometimes it's so tempting. We get scared when, when the ones we're working with and the ones that we're teaching aren't, in, in our minds, they're shoot, making bad choices or their behavior isn't isn't perfect, isn't right, they're not doing what we ask or or they're they're you know, whatever it is and, and we get nervous and we get scared and we we move over into coercion, you know. And that that's that's not very inspiring. <laughs> it's it's natural for people to do that, but it's not very inspiring. There's a balance between of course this is the behavior that I expect. And, of course, there's boundaries that there's some behavior that cannot be tolerated and, and this can't happen. At the same time, the point here is that inspiring people, they, one of the characteristics is that you feel loved. When you feel loved, you, that, is, that goes so far. It goes so far. And I'll tell you, it's, some people have a greater capacity to let other people feel loved. And, in fact, I was just talking to Cammie yesterday about this. Cammie and I are, um, Cammie and I do a lot of work together. We help people with the nutritional cleansing stuff that, you know, I mentioned before that we do. And, of course, um, we were talking about what each of us is good at in the book, Good to Great. It's a book I recommend everyone read. Um, one of the things he talks about that great companies do is that whoever's working in the business, it, they find the right seat on the bus. They know it's the right thing for them to do, but then not only are they in the right company or in the right mission or the right this, but they also find the best place for them to be doing the things that they're good at and that they have passion for and that they love. So Cammie and I were talking. I said, Cammie, it's the same thing with me and Anelity, that I'm really good with vision and really good with systems and with figuring out how to get there and creating a plan and adjusting it when necessary. And I said, and Anelity has all the energy in the world to help us make it happen. And her love for the people, everybody feels it. I said, Cammie, it's weird. I love the people. She loves the people. She works with all the people we work with so much closer, and she has all this energy and love. And I told Cammie, I said, Cammie, that's the same with you. When people get with you, you are able to express your love for them so strong that they believe in themselves, they want to do it, and it's powerful. 
it's a gift. Some people actually um, have that kind of energy and that kind of love that the people around them can feel the love. In in the tipping point, the way that I would describe it is he, he says that it's the salesman personality. He says there's, there's the three personalities to make something happen. One is the maven, one is the connector, and one is the salesman. And I think that it's their ability to, to spread emotion. Does that make sense, Cammie? Yeah. <clears throat> it does. It's interesting because I have that gift and I, I am so grateful for it. I just, of course, whatever gifts you have, you think everybody has. And so it was absolutely shocking to me a couple months ago to be in a conversation with with someone that I love very much who told me that he had to start back at square one and learn how to love people. And he's like, I'm looking for a mentor and I I have to learn to love my children and my wife and and to spend time with them and, and not to be on the next step but be right there with them and as he was describing what it is he needed to to learn I just my jaw was on the floor because I I so didn't understand that someone had to learn that because it's such a gift in me that I walk up to a complete stranger and absolutely have love well, not just that. Not only, not only do you have love, but they feel it. It, it, it's a. And as teachers, it's interesting because I can be in a classroom teaching and send that love out, and, and then I come home and I hole up. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the people who are with me feel it. There are some people who have the type of energy, though, like you and Anelody, who can keep on sending it over here and over here and over here and over here. Does that make sense? Wow. And, and and so there are even, but it's something, it's a choice that we make sometimes. But like even on Glenn Beck's program, when he was talking about Gordon B. Hinckley, anybody who has been in the wake of Gordon B. Hinckley has felt his love. So true. But that's just all there is to it. And it didn't matter if the person was of his faith or not. People can't but feel that love. That's why he was he was so well known because people were attracted to him. You know, it breaks down breaks down every wall that is possible. Yeah. Someone came on. Who is it? Tiffany. This is Sherry Gagan. Hi, Sherry. Hi. I have a question and. If this isn't the appropriate time to answer it, then maybe we can do it at the end of the call. I have to tell you that one of the main reasons I'm on this call this morning is because I feel like I have some level of competence in inspiring greatness in others in my students. And then I come home. (laughs) I'm not a complete dictator. (laughs) And I definitely (laughs) love my children. But I have to tell you, there's there's just a completely different... I don't know. I feel completely, um, I just don't feel as successful in this particular area with my own children um, as I do with everyone else's children. And, you know, it goes back sometimes, Sherry, to that feeling of angst that we get when they're not doing what we think they ought to be. Well, and they're all teenagers, sometimes. so I'm feeling exactly. the angst, man. I'm really feeling the angst. <laughs> Oh, Sherry, I just, you know what, bring that question up again at the end and see if there's not something that comes from this, because it is something I want to go into more. Okay. It is important, and I, there is something very specific that I want to say that I wasn't going to say before that I'll try and say specifically to this, okay? Thank you. You bet. Thank you for getting on and asking that question. Okay. Here's here's what happens. Our love for others should be constant, whether they fail or succeed. That's really really big. Um, I know, I know that um, even when we get chastised or reprimanded, the thing that makes us feel like we could go out and conquer the world is if the love comes. When there's a difference, and this is something I'm trying to practice, even with my own children that 
if there comes a time <clears throat> to reprimand them, to to not do it in the moment, but to actually think it through and create an environment where when the reprimanding comes, there is an outpouring of love with it so that they don't feel like they have to peel themselves off the ground. Instead, it's been a very, very powerful exchange, and they feel on top of things. And it's a very painful place to go to be reprimanded. And I will tell you one thing. Your ability to be reprimanded will, will, it will equal the level of how well you can be mentored and how high you can go and achieve things. I know that the reason that I could work, um, with Dr. DeMille as a mentor was because it was my ability to take the reprimands. And in as much as the reprimands came, also came that, that strong feeling that I knew I was loved. And they equal each other. The feelings of pain from the humility and the, the frustration that, that I could be so weak or so dumb or not know or blah, 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 or whatever it is, equaled the feelings of how much he believed in me and how much I was loved and the expectations for me. And, and that's something to just look at personally, to take a look at yourself. I, I know someone in, in the business world that, um, just had a break with his partner because his partner needed to let him know the things that the customers weren't happy with and he couldn't take it. He, he, he couldn't take it. He ended the business relationship and walked off because he couldn't take it. Even though the person who was giving it was ready with all the love in the world. And that's how we grow. You have to be able to put your pride over here listen to what's being told and then that's how growth happens is you have to open up your mind and say maybe there's an opportunity to grow here but if you're so prideful and go ah that means that I'm wrong and you're right and I won't even listen to you you can't grow through that drop the pride and be teachable so that growth can happen and that's what this whole life is about right is for us to grow so that we can inspire our students to grow and our children to grow. We're interrupting this broadcast to remind you to share and subscribe. Also, be sure and check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. Even even speaking about this for a minute, um, my daughter is finally old enough to, to take the practice scholar classes. And oh my gosh, can I tell you what it's like to see, to see the magic. All of us know, all of us have kids in them. We see the other kids. Like I got a phone call from one of the moms the other day. You know, she was asking for an assignment because her son had missed. And she said, I just have to tell you thank you. She said it used to be like pulling teeth to get my son to write anything. And now he's just motivated. I'm like, I'm like thinking, yeah, that's the power of his peers. <laughs> you know, that's the power of these projects, and they're really inspiring, and, and I'm glad you noticed that, you know. But then I look at my own daughter, and it's, as a teacher, we have to realize this. It is, I think this is one of the hardest, hardest, hardest things as a parent and as a teacher. And here, here on one hand, remember, you know, at training, and Elodie held up two sticks, and she said, there's always two sides. There's this side and there's this side. There's always two sides to a coin. Um, I see the things that are making me really happy, uh, how her vision is growing, how her skills, how the, what she's learning, the con, you know, the Shakespeare and the King Liberty stuff. I mean, she's, it, it's amazing. She read, <laughs> she read 17 plays the first week of class because she wanted to win. It's six days. Read, watch, or listen to. I mean, I know it's a race for the students and I know, anyway, um, Here's here's what I was going to say. I've never seen Lara be in so much pain. And it's just these little things like we, we sat on the couch 
she was working really, really hard to be the first one crowned queen, okay, and read those 17 plays. So school had started on a Wednesday. She stayed up until 10 o'clock that night reading, watching, or listening to plays. Then the next day on Thursday, all day long, she did the same thing. Then the next day on Friday, we invited a whole bunch of the students over to watch plays together. And her little best friend found out that she she had already done 12. Well, we're barely learning to know these other kids. I had no idea that the social orientation of Lars little best friend was competitive. Okay? So her little friend stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning and finished all 17 plays. Okay? And I made Laura go to bed every night at 10 o'clock and told her, you know, you just take it at a normal pace. You're, you're so far ahead of everybody, you're okay. <laughs> I didn't know her little friend. So, of course, the next day when she finds out, uh, all of us understand this. You can imagine, I mean, the happiness she felt, right? <laughs> but of course, she was happy for her friend, but I, she was holding back the tears with all she was worth. You know, for half an hour, I just saw her, and I, oh, my heart just, Fell. And at the same time, I would never in the world deny her that. I would never deny her that that experience. I'm so glad she's getting that experience now. And she got, she did her presentation, right? And she gets back those forms that come in where everybody grades her. And two of them had marked her low. And I saw her looking over her papers, you know, a few days later. And, and I saw that look of pain in her eyes again. And I said, hey, Laura, you still have a presentation to do in my class. I said, why don't you do a kick and butt one? I said, everybody will see that you just did an okay one, and now they're going to see you did a really good one, and you're going to inspire them. If you, you you have a chance to redeem yourself. You know what I mean? We're talking. We're, when we teach, the love that we have for them means everything because education sometimes can be painful. And and so when they, whoever comes within our wake needs to feel that love. Okay, let me move on because we've got two sections to go to. This part will be quickly. Here's the effect if those five things are followed. One is we will have created a spirit of learning. In other words, we will have created an environment of love. Okay? Two, <laughs> this is what's so fun. More things will be learned than we are aware of. So here we have the things that we think we want to teach, what we want them to know, what we want them to feel, what we want them to do. And if we've done the five things above, um, <laughs> this is crazy, none of those things might matter. They might learn something completely different, something totally new, because what... Um, there will be a spirit of learning in the classroom. And and I told my students when I taught them on the first day of class how to take notes. I had a little box on the paper. I said, this box right here is where you get your personal ahas. I said, you will get ahas about the content that I'm teaching. And I said, and you will get ahas that has nothing to do with what I'm teaching. I said, this box right here is the most important thing that you take notes on. Because you'll have actions to go do. You'll get, say, go-be-do's. You'll get ahas. You'll get insights. You'll get wisdom. You'll get understanding. And it may or may not have to do with anything that I'm teaching. Cammy, have you ever had that happen? <laughs> I was just thinking of one. It's really funny. I want to share two things real quick. I remember being in a class with you and listening to the teacher and it was a completely different subject, but you were like, oh, that's so powerful. And I said, what? What? I didn't think it was that powerful. What was it? And you said, well, this and this and this. And you proceeded to teach me three things that the teacher hadn't even mentioned. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> that was cool. But I, I also remember teaching in, a, in our family seminar, Dr. Doty was in the audience. And he came up to me afterward and he said, wow, Cammy, that was so powerful. I got so many things out of out of your talk. And I'm like, really? Tell, give me feedback. You know, tell me what, what parts you liked the best. And he goes, well, 
actually, it, it was that you brought the spirit of learning in, and it it wasn't necessarily what you were saying, but oh wow, I learned I learned this and this and this and this from you teaching, and I'm like I didn't say any of those. <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> oh, that is the essence of teaching and learning. That is it right there. And I remember when he taught at the seminar, Cammy, that that was one of the most powerful moments for you because he took us on like a five-minute vision quest. And I remember looking over at your paper and seeing what you wrote that our family mission was. And when I read your words, something happened inside of me, up and down my spine, and I and I gained your vision. And you put... I remember on your paper, here's what was written on the top of your paper when Steve did his vision quest, and everyone was getting something different in the whole room, and you wrote, our family mission is to heal families. And that was written right at the top of your paper. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a powerful... That was a... It's so true. So that's the, that's number two, is that more things will be learned than we are aware of. And I looked up... Um, what it means to inspire, and here were some of the words, to infuse or excite spirit in, to enliven, to animate new life, to encourage, to invigorate. Oh, my gosh, if that's not what Anelody does, if that's not what you do, <laughs> it, it, that's our job. That's our job right there. That's what we do to inspire people. That's what it means. We enliven them. We animate them with new life, we encourage, we invigorate. And yes, Sherry, I'm sitting here now analyzing how well am I doing this with all my children. And of course we have to ask that. Okay, here's the third thing that happens if we do this. Others see our example, they are exposed to greatness, and and they go and, and, and duplicate it, okay? And then here's the fourth one, and this leads us into another part. The mechanics of becoming inspired are created, which means that the seed is planted. Our job is to do our best to create an environment to plant the seed and inspire others to want the fruit and work toward it. And at this point, I need everybody to take out a piece of paper and a pen. This is this is important. Here's the mechanics of of education, okay? Here's the mechanics of being inspired. Here's what happens. Go ahead and listen through this, and then, Cammy, feel free to comment. Okay, draw a box, and inside that box, and this is on the left side of your paper, inside that box, draw a little seed. And the process of what happens in our classrooms and and with inspiring people is that um, this little seed is planted, and what it feels like is it's an assurance. It's an assurance with an if-this statement, kind of like, okay? It's either an assurance that something that was said is true, or it's an assurance that we're loved, or it's an assurance that if I do this, this will happen, or it's an assurance of I ought to do this, because then this will happen, or it's an assurance that this would be a good thing to act on and a choice to make. Okay, so over on the other side of your paper, draw a box, and inside the box, draw a little tree. And of course, the tree has fruit on it. And then draw a line from the two boxes to each other, from the seed over to to the tree. When we are inspiring, then our students receive an assurance. Like I remember very specifically, very, very specifically, I was 18 years old, I was in a class by Dr. DeMille, and he said, he said, if you want to write, and if you want to be a good writer, read a thousand books first. Okay, this totally shows this example. I knew I could I knew I desired to write well. I knew I wanted to be a good writer and I knew he was right. 
that I had to read. I had to study. It had to become part of my life, stronger than it had been in the past. And I knew that. And the assurance came, if I will do it, I will get that. It was one of those if this, then this one. Okay? And I and I made the decision right then and there. I will do it. Now, this leads to a two-part thing later that I'll get to in a second. Here's what happens. Um, in that line, if you go over just a little bit, you can put a, a little line through the horizontal line that goes from the seed to the tree. Just a little ways into it. The box is gone. In other words, the box of the seed is gone. In other words, the assurance has left now. When the assurance leaves, now we're we're in life. So there's no more yummy feeling that if I do this hard work, something great is going to happen. <laughs> that yummy, delicious, you know, feeling is gone. The assurance is gone, and now we're left with a choice. Do we believe it? Do we act on it? Do we do that hard thing? Do we really still think that that one thing is still true? Do we still want that good thing that, that at one point I did, I thought I wanted? <laughs> okay. And we're left to ourselves with the choice of do I act on it or not? And, and, and that's, that's what happens is, is then, then the student has to choose. The, the person has to choose. You and I have to choose. Do I move toward it or not? And that's where this choice, and either the choice is made to act and move toward that fruit or not to act, and that that means um, not progressing, okay? And for, and, and it, this, this is really true. This is how it works. Like um, my son is in TJYC with Melinda Mitchell, so he's in class. They're, they're talking there. I'm sure, I think they talked about Martin Luther. And here's what could take place in the class. Um, as Belinda's teaching, um, Jacob could be, this is one of the choices that could happen, he could be getting a vision of what a statesman is, okay? Or maybe he's getting a vision, maybe something happens to him and he thinks, my gosh, Martin Luther had to really be able to think, to be able to notice the discrepancies between what the Bible was saying and what he could see the leaders of the church were implementing. Okay, so, my gosh, he had to really know, he had to be a scientist. He had to really think and make connections. And maybe in his mind he's thinking, I, I, I think I need to learn how to do that. I need to, to be scholarly like Martin Luther was, you know. Or maybe he's thinking, my gosh, what courage. Oh, my gosh, what courage that took. I wonder if that's ever going to happen to me. I wonder if I'm ever going to have to stand for something when everybody around me isn't. My goodness, what if that, oh, my gosh, what if, will that ever happen to me? Or he could be thinking, um, he had to be able to write. You know, and my goodness, oh, I'm so frustrated I can't write. Or, you know, he's thinking these things, any tree, any seed could be planted in the content of that class. And these are just the ones that are connected to the content. These aren't the other ones that have nothing to do with the content. Um, but what happens is literally this is the mechanics of learning, is that uh, the seed is planted and we have a vision that if we do this or that this is true, and if we act on it, then this is what's going to come. And that's why it's our job to inspire because once again it's a place where the assurance can come. And Kami, do you have any comments on this part before I go to our last little part that I'm adding this time? I'm sorry, my kids are up, so I'm like hiding in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What was it you good. just barely asked? <laughs> no, you're good. You're fine. I'm going to move on. Okay. Um, I just was giving you a space to comment. Okay. Oh, you're amazing. Here's, you're teaching so many truths. <laughs> yeah. Here's there you go. We do work. Here. You were talking about action. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> how you, you, you get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's the one step further that we ask. Um, how do we inspire ourselves? 
because this is one of the um, abilities that we teach. Um, they, they're learning it, but I'll tell you when this is developed and tested. It's the self-directed scholar phase is where it's really, really, really tested and where it's really developed. And if they don't get it, a person who goes through self-directed before they go into mentored, if they can develop this ability, how to inspire themselves, then they can make it through the mentored scholar phase. But if a person gets to mentored scholar phase or they're, say they're, they're at Georgia College and they haven't learned this ability yet, they're in trouble. And this ability has to be learned before they can do everything that's required of them. And a very great place to learn this ability is in the self-directed. And, and, and of course, we can try and teach it to them in practice a little bit and apprentice scholar phase a little bit. But this is really tested in, in self-directed scholar phase. And that is this. How do we inspire ourselves? And here's, here's the allegory. There is a desert between Las Vegas and St. George. Okay, Las Vegas, Nevada to St. George. Anybody who's driven that stretch um, understands that it's a desert. And that it can get up to 120 degrees in, in the summertime. And um, Rick's ancestors settled that area, and so did some of mine. And they, there's a little place called Bunkerville that, that his ancestors um, settled. And so we're familiar with this stretch between Vegas and St. George. And I was driving along there one time with my dad, and that's when this allegory came to me that I realized, and especially with what we were talking about. If somebody had to walk from Las Vegas to St. George, back before we had cars and, and stuff, if, if they had to walk or if they had to get on a horse and travel on a horse, they would not go that distance without knowing where the watering holes were. A, a person could die on foot between Vegas and St. George. And so they would have to know where they could refill their water. And that is like this. If we think that we can get to that fruit on that tree that we want so bad, and we don't know where the pit stops are, where the watering holes are, we won't get there. And those watering holes are those little boxes of assurances. That's what they are, where we feel, again, the truth of what we're doing and the power of what we're doing and the vision of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Those are the watering holes. And people who are successful have learned this key. They've learned where the watering holes are. In other words, they have learned how to inspire themselves. And... Uh, it, it's, I started to ask, what are they? What are the watering holes? How do I inspire myself? The people who I know who are so inspiring, how do they inspire themselves? What are the keys? Here are just a few. Just a tip, okay? One of them is what I call live whole books. Music and experiences. The word live and whole come from Charlotte Mason. Okay? And so you could call them classics if you want, but, you know, there's a variation of classics. But those are inspiring. Those are watering holes. Um, good books, good music, good experiences, inspiring books, inspiring music, inspiring experiences to refresh in ourselves and, and get ourselves through. Here's number two. Good friends. Good friends. Um, I am so... I look at my life and I look at the good friends that I have. Just even... I'm, I, I don't know. My family moved 16 times by the time I was 16 years old. And... I had to learn how to make friends in, in the new places we went. And I eventually learned how to keep some of the friends that I left behind. And I didn't really learn that skill until I was 17 and we moved. I, I wasn't able, I've never kept in contact with any of the friends I had before I was um, 17. 
but there are three people that I remember that I still love from from those earlier ages. I I remember them. I have love for them. I don't. I hadn't learned how to keep in touch with them, and I have no idea if they remember me now. I mean, my gosh, we were twelve at one point, you know. And there's one friend I had in fourth grade. Her name was Rhonda Christiansen. She lived across the street from me, fourth and third grade. I've never kept in contact with her. I hadn't learned how to do that yet. Um, when I was 17, I learned how to keep in contact with friends that from that were from the previous moves. And so I think about my move from Blackfoot to here, and I think about my friends that I left at Blackfoot and how much I love them. And, um, like one of my friends, we got a hold of each other this week. We hadn't talked since I moved. And it was so nice to, to feel her love and, and let her know I loved her. And, and I think about the people here that I'm with, the friendships that I'm making here, and how empty my life would be without these new friends, these enriching relationships that I have, and how they sometimes are my watering hole. That it, that's, that's just all there is to it. Um, to friends, yes. They say that you know you become the the five people that you are around the most. You become those people, and if they're toxic and negative, then they're going to pull you down. But if they're, and that's why we've always learned from the beginning: choose your friends wisely. That's it's like our most favorite thing. Because, because you talk the way they talk, you think the way they think, you you become them. And there's there's a lot of us out there that the five people around them that needs to change. They need to to you know choose better friends so that they can become a better person. That's such a huge huge key. It is. It, it's really real. I was at a business conference with 300 business people. I mean, this is, was a worldly business. They were talking about what you just said, about who is it that you hang out with. And um, then they, they asked people to share what's something that, that you learned at this conference, what's something you're going to go home and do, okay? This is a business conference. There was a young man. He must have been, I don't know, 27 years old, maybe 25. He was very handsome, very tall. He stood up and raised his hand. They called on him. He said, here's what he said of all the business things that could have been taught in the three days he was there. Okay, three days of tons and tons and tons of business. And here's what he said. He said, I learned I'm going to go home and change my friends. That's what he said. And when he said it, I could feel it. I could feel his pain. I could feel him knowing it was his right next step. I could feel him hope that there would be new friends for him, <laughs> you know? I mean, good friends are sometimes our watering holes. They can inspire us, and and it is something, it's an ability that we learn, oh, I need a dose of so-and-so, <laughs> you know, or I need, it, it's one of the things that we learn. Okay, and then here here's number three. Revisit and train your mind to be good at remembering. Remembering when we had the assurances. That can immediately bring a, a piece of the assurance back to us that the hard choices that we're making are worth it. It can bring back the vision of what we're working toward. In fact, this is the last thing. Try it right now. Remember the first time you knew that this kind of education was for you and your family. What did it feel like? What did you see? What did you know? When was it? Every one of us has a beginning point somewhere. Remember it. When you knew this kind of education was for you and your family. Think about it. Remember it right now. Where were you? What were you doing? What what distilled upon your mind? What did your heart feel? What did you know was true? Okay.
9.05. We have a few minutes to go ahead and open up for questions. And um, going back to Sherry's question um, about creating the, the thing that I was going to add is with two things. One is getting very clear that that you – this is just a technique that I do sometimes, Sherry. And when I do it, it makes me very happy and it makes me have confidence in what I'm doing at home with my children. And this is a practice that I have. When I go to bed at night, um, I'll go through my children. And so Jacob's my oldest, so I'll think of Jacob. And I'll just ponder and I'll think, am I doing the things that I should be doing to help him in his life? Or is there something he needs that I could help with. I just ask these questions, okay? Is there anything specific I've been told to do with him that, that I need to do better at? Or what is really important that I need to make sure that he understands these things have to happen? Okay, for instance, for him, um, one of the things is um, I felt really important he's supposed to be um, making sure he spends an hour a day with his mu music that that is something really important. He doesn't get the privileges um, at the end of the day unless he's met some minimum requirements that are really important. And one of those is the music. Um, and then, of course, we have to go through, am I forcing him? Am I inspiring? What am I doing? You know, do you, we always ask that. How how am I behaving in, in getting him to do that? But this practice helps me tremendously as I go through like my little Melanie, she's seven. Um, the other day, the impression that came to me was to read to her from the Little House on the Prairie books. So it took me a week to follow through, to get to the library, to get the book, to get it home. They didn't have the one that specifically was impressed on my mind to read to her. They didn't have it. So I had to get the next best one that I liked and came home and created a system for it so that each night or during the day, I'll read to them, and then at night, when Rick texts them in, he reads to them. And because of asking that question and pondering about Melanie, what is it that Melanie needs? And, I mean, that's, that's like, totally out of the blue. Read Little House in the Big Woods, <laughs> you know what I mean? But if I do it, then I know that I'm I'm okay with God, and I'm okay with them because I'm following through. Um, for my Joseph. When I was pondering about him um, over Christmas time, it was, it's time to start him on violin. You know, so what was his Christmas present? It was a violin. We we found him an excellent teacher. Um, I start, I set up the system to try and implement. Here's the crazy thing. They're always small and simple things. They're but not, I think the, the power comes in your asking the right, right question. You're taking a minute to think about that child and ask the right question. What is it that this child needs? And then God, the universe, they'll, it'll answer you. You'll find the answer. But it takes asking to receive that answer. And so I think that's key each night as you ponder about that child and ask the right question. That's why the answers are coming to you. Right. And I don't know where I learned this practice, Cherry. I don't know where I got it. I know that I've been doing it for as long as I've had kids somehow. I remember Joseph is 10 now. I remember when he was two or three, and I've mentioned before that he'd had a traumatic experience and his behavior was atrocious. We had to stop all social action with everybody. Even my dad, who's the most loving, patient person on earth, um, could have killed him <laughs> at that time and couldn't even be around him hardly. Um, but... I remember specifically asking, "Oh my gosh, what what does he need?" You know, I mean, this is a this this was a severe case. It wasn't just a normal thing. You know, what does he need? What can I do? And I remember the answer that came. I remember it. He he was two or three. He 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 stayed in our bed till he was four. He couldn't even be separated from me at night. And um, I remember the impression that came, and it it, it was this. Every night when you tuck him in, tell him a Bible story. Every night before he goes. He wasn't even talking yet. He didn't learn to talk till he was three. He wasn't even talking yet. 
And that answer came, um, tell him a story about Jesus each night from the Bible. And he still remembers those. I'll go to tell a story, and he'll be like, oh, yeah, I know that one. Like, you weren't even talking. I don't say that to him. <laughs> but that's, that's what his was. That's what his one thing was. And I think what that can give us when when we do that is it gives us peace if we can make sure we try and do that thing that we feel we should do, then even if everything else isn't in our control, if we can do that one thing, I don't know. I don't know that I could homeschool without that. To me, it is my lifeline. And so I don't know if that helps at all, Cherry. <laughs> okay, anybody who has yeah. uh, any other? That actually helps a lot. Especially as, um, you know, uh, our two older kids are uh, 20 and 17, and, you know, moving into the stage of having adult children is, you know, then it becomes a completely different thing. I mean, you parent completely different. Yeah. And, um, And so that's, you know, actually it's very, very helpful. Thank you very much. Oh, Sherry, you know how much I love you. (laughs) Okay, everybody, thank you, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.